2 Timothy 2, 1 through 10. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Would you pray with me again? Our Father in heaven, you, by the word of your power, spoke light into existence. And in your kindness and in your mercy, you sent your Son as the light of the world so that we would know you in all of your perfections, in all of your beauty, in all of your glory. And now we want to see Jesus clearly in the Scripture. I pray that you would let us see him so that we would love him. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been going through Luke's Gospel Slowly and and carefully, so that we can know Christ as He is. A lot of people have opinions about Jesus. A lot of people have different thoughts about who He is and, and what He did. But if you want to know Christ, the only way to know Him is through the Word of God. And specifically this morning, here's what I'd like you to remember. Now, if God lays something different on your heart, that's fine. But this is the point that I hope that I believe that the scriptures teach, that I hope you remember. Remember, If you are going to have hope, you must remember the words of Jesus. If you are going to have hope, you must remember the words of Jesus. And I want to illustrate it this way. If I say that I love my wife, and I do say that, but I don't remember anything she says to me, it demonstrates that I don't really care about her. So for example, if I'm on my way home and she calls me and she says, I I need you to pick up some milk. And I go to the store and I come home with beef jerky. We have a problem. It means that even if I heard her, I couldn't remember what she said. Or if she tells me that for Christmas she wants a very particular journal so that she could write down some of her thoughts about different things and have different inspirational quotes that that will encourage her and inspire her. And instead of a beautiful journal, I get her a circular saw. We have a problem because I have not listened to her and I have not remembered her words. And a failure to listen and remember what your spouse says to you is an indication that you don't genuinely love that person. When you love someone, you listen to them. 
And when you love someone, you remember what they say. And maybe you're here today and, and you don't know if you know Jesus very well, and that's okay. We are thrilled to have you with us. There are some people who say, I know and I love Jesus, but they don't remember what he said at all, and their lives suggest that they are really hypocrites. So my prayer is that for all of us, whether you come in not knowing Jesus well or thinking that you know him well, but maybe you don't, my prayer is that you would recognize that if you're going to follow Jesus, you need to know his words and you need to remember them. And I don't say this because I I don't want anybody to leave here feeling guilty, like, oh, I'm a lousy Christian. My hope is that you would have hope. Hope that will sustain you when you are sick and dying. Hope that will sustain you when your dreams have not panned out the way that you thought they would. When you didn't get the, into the school that you wanted to go into, or you didn't get the job that you dreamed of, or, or you didn't get to marry the person that you wanted to marry, and, and maybe you have a life of singleness, or maybe your marriage didn't work out and you're divorced. There are so many reasons for hopelessness. My desire for each and every one of you today is that you would have hope in Christ Jesus. And if you are going to have hope in Christ, you need to remember the words of Jesus. Jesus himself urges his followers to listen carefully to his words. We have four Gospels that record the specific words of Christ and the things that he did. And the whole Bible really is the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're going to see that next week. Jesus says that heaven or hell, glory or shame, hope or hopelessness, depend on hearing his words and obeying them. I'm going to give you one one specific thing Christ said that demonstrates that point. Jesus says things like, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them is like a person who builds his house on the rock. Christ says that. If you want to have your life exist on a solid foundation, you need to come to Christ. You need to hear what he says, and you need to do what he says. If you don't come, if you don't hear, and if you don't do, you will not have a solid foundation for your life. But the hope is that we can listen to what Christ said. And my hope this morning is that I want to end this message by reminding you of some of the things Jesus had said so that you will have hope. So that you can be a faithful servant of King Jesus. But before we go there, before I remind you of some of the things that he has said, we need to look a little bit at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, if you were here last week, we looked at a passage of Scripture at the end of Luke chapter 23 that describes how Jesus suffered, was crucified, died, And was buried. We left him in the tomb. And this morning. We want to look at how Luke describes. That Jesus rose from the dead. I do want to talk a little bit. About the empty tomb. And a little bit about the resurrection of Christ. But this is not primarily a sermon about the resurrection. Because I'm looking at Luke chapter 24 verses 1 through 12. And those verses are not primarily about the resurrection. 
what we're going to see is we will see some people who loved Jesus, but they completely forgot what He said. And in their forgetfulness, rather than having hope, they existed in fear and confusion. And by the grace of God, and I mean that, by the grace of God, because of His kindness, it's my prayer that you and I could learn from their mistake so that we would have hope. But let's begin first by looking at the empty tomb. So I would encourage you, uh, whether or not you brought a Bible, you can find this passage on the internet. Just Google Luke chapter 24. I'm going to be looking at the first, 20, or the first 12 verses of chapter 24. Or if you grab a Bible from one of the seats around you, Luke is very easy to find. He's about three quarters of the way through the Bible, and it's a large book. You can use one of those Bibles and find Luke chapter 24. And I want to begin by looking at the first three verses. Scripture says, Luke chapter 24, verse 1, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. If you remember the passage from last week, you know that Jesus died and was buried. His followers have learned from Him that they must follow all of God's commandments. And so in obedience to the command of God to honor the Sabbath day, the final verse, chapter 23, says they rested according to the commandment. And so in obedience to God, they let His body stay in the tomb And they did not prepare it for burial. So if you remember, he is crucified, he is beaten, his body is a bloody mess. And in burial customs in those days, not unlike our own, out of respect for the dead, you washed the body and made it look as beautiful as you could because you wanted to honor the person who had died. So they laid him in a tomb, but they had not washed him or anointed the body. And so, these women go to the tomb. They expect Jesus to be dead. They go to pay their respects, not thinking that He would be alive. They go to take care of a corpse. But when they arrive, Scripture says, they did not find the body. The resurrection of Christ is one of the most important truths of all of Christianity. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, our sins are not forgiven. I said a moment ago, my hope is that everyone here would leave with hope. If Jesus is dead, we have no hope. You can experience forgiveness for your sins, but if Jesus is not dead, you are still in your guilt. There is no forgiveness and no reason to leave here with hope. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, If Jesus did not rise from the dead, our loved ones who died, who hoped in Christ, they are gone forever. We have no hope for the future. But if He did rise, we can be bold as a lion while the world burns. Because even if we die, We have the hope of future glory, the resurrection, and not only our personal resurrection, but Scripture teaches that God will restore all things. 
fact, it teaches that, that all of creation is groaning, waiting for the day when God will restore everything. I, I was flipping through, sometimes when I walk into bookstores, I'll go to my favorite section and I'll just flip through different books on different topics. One of the things I was looking at, I found a little book on the philosophy of religion. So they like to argue about different things. And one of the objections to the belief that God is real and that God is good is that some of our suffering seems senseless. So there's this famous atheist writing about the horror of a deer trapped in a fire. And that an innocent animal suffered horribly before dying. And he said, what's the point in that? The deer didn't do anything. You can say that, that people are sinful and so we deserve the suffering that we have because we sin. But, but what about this innocent animal? Well, well, the scripture teaches that that's wrong. That, that creation should not suffer. But that all of creation is groaning, waiting for God to make all things new. Yes, terrible things happen because this is a deeply broken world. But if Christ rose from the dead, we have ultimate hope that God will not only raise us from the dead, but he will make all things new, that every wrong will be made right. And the Bible treats the resurrection of Christ not as just some sort of inspirational story to make you feel better, not as some sort of fairy tale. The Bible treats it as real history. People, after Jesus was publicly crucified, one of the best historically documented events in all of human history, after he was crucified, people shared meals with him. They ate with him. Thomas touched his wounds to make sure that it was really Jesus and not just someone who looked like him. So the resurrection of Christ is presented in Scripture as real history. But let's just pause for a moment, and I want to take just a couple minutes, not very long, and ask the question, is this resurrection truly historical? One of the things that you have to think about first, some have said, maybe Christ wasn't really dead. Maybe he was almost dead. Sometimes it's called the swoon theory. Like Jesus swooned, everyone thought he was dead, so they put him in the empty tomb, but secretly he was really alive. And somehow, they created the story that Christ rose from the dead, found in a new religion, but all of it is really a lie. The reality is, that simply does not make any historical sense. Part of the reason is Romans were really good at killing people. They knew how to execute people. Christ was not only crucified, before he was crucified, he was publicly beaten and whipped. The amount of blood that he lost, the amount of suffering that was so painfully public, he couldn't even carry his cross to be crucified. They had to have someone else carry it for him. He was physically weak and dying before he was crucified. Not only that, the soldiers who crucified him publicly testified that he was dead. In fact, one of them, amazed that he died so quickly within the span of six hours, stabbed him in the side, and the scripture says something like blood and water came pouring out of his side, which we understand now that the blood is clotting and separating, which is an indication that he had died sometime before he was stabbed. The public testimony of his death is so good, it makes no sense 
that he somehow fainted and was revived in the tomb. And pause for a second. Even if he had, who in the right mind would follow a broken, bruised man as if he were the Messiah as he suffered such crippling wounds? It does not make sense that he's not really dead in any way you look at it. But the public testimony, not only of Scripture, but of other ancient sources, is that Christ was publicly crucified. So if he's crucified, then the question is, what happened to his body? What happened to his body? The, the fact that the tomb was empty is also universally agreed on. Now, if you're not a Christian, you might say something like, someone stole the body. But let's pause and think about that for a second. If someone steals the body, who would do something like that? Well, you could think maybe the Romans, except the Romans who were guarding his tomb would have been executed if someone stole the body, so they're a really bad candidate. You could think maybe the Jews stole the body because the Jews did not like followers of Christ, and so maybe it was a way to insult them somehow, but that doesn't make sense because if the Jews stole the body, they've given credence to the fact that Jesus said he would rise from the dead, and now they've made it look like it would happen. In fact, in Matthew's Gospel, they go to Pilate and say, this deceiver, when he was alive, said that he would rise from the dead, and they ask Pilate to put a guard at the tomb to prevent this from happening. And when it does happen, then they say, someone stole the body, and they bribe the guards to lie and make sure that they're not punished. But the reality is, they don't know what happened. So if the Romans didn't do it, and the Jews wouldn't do it, the only other potential candidate is maybe the disciples. But think about this for a moment. We're going to see in the text today None of the disciples believe that he rose from the dead when they're first told that he's alive. In fact, Thomas, even after everyone around him has seen Christ, Thomas still won't believe until he personally sees Jesus and touches him. And so if they didn't believe that he rose from the dead when they were told that, how would they decide we're going to steal the body? They're, the reports of their character are not stunning they're not existing in hope of founding a religion. They're existing in fear. Not only that, as they begin to tell the good news of Jesus and proclaim that he rose from the dead, they get nothing but persecution and ultimately they all die martyrs' deaths with the possible exception of John who suffered on exile and died an old man basically in a sort of prison. Now, if that's the reward for lying about the body of Jesus, they are the strangest people who have ever lived in history. The reality is the historical record shows they were cowards. And the only thing that would have changed them from being cowards to courageous followers of Christ is the risen Christ, that they truly believed he'd risen from the dead. Now, some have said maybe they hallucinated. Here's one of the problems with that. If they hallucinated, multiple people had the same hallucination. And not only the original 11, but also we'll see the women at the tomb, and not only the women at the tomb, but think about this. Paul the Apostle, who hated Christ. Paul the Apostle went from being a persecutor of Christians to accepting beatings and ultimately dying as a follower of Christ because he personally saw the risen Christ as the last one alive to ever see Christ this side of his second coming. 
If Paul, a persecutor, is willing to recognize that Christ rose from the dead, if Paul, who hated Christ, becomes someone who passionately and deeply loves Christ, so he could write things like the book of Philippians, where he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because if he dies, he gets to go into the presence of Christ directly. The only thing that makes sense of that is that Paul really saw Christ. Paul is not the only skeptic to be converted. Jesus' own brother, James, if you look at Mark chapter 3, the immediate family of Jesus, sometimes we wonder, what, what would it have been like to grow up with Jesus, to have him as your older brother? Well, Jesus' family thought he was crazy. So apparently they didn't like it very much. James, as he grows up, does not follow his older brother until after the resurrection. And he becomes a leader within the church only because he hears and believes and sees Christ risen from the dead. So those are some historical evidence and and maybe you find them persuasive, maybe you don't. Here's what we have that we must deal with today though. The simple truth that Scripture records that Jesus rose from the dead. You might say, well, all the Bible is carefully coordinated and and written together. But the reality is we have multiple people who wrote different parts of the Bible. So we have four different Gospels that all record the resurrection. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Not only that, we have the, the book of Acts where we find different voices at different times and places that leave churches where they were. So, so the historical evidence Paul really preached in Athens is that there is a church in Greece. The historical evidence that Paul preached in Corinth is that there is a church in Corinth. All of these places have left historical markings that these people really lived and really preached these things. And all of those places testify to the risen Christ. Not only that, if you look at Paul's early letters, like 1 Corinthians, which I referenced a moment ago, he is repeating things that he has heard from other believers. So 1 Corinthians 15 begins with, I am passing on to you this statement of faith, that Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead and appeared to others. Paul is very clear. He knew the Lord Jesus directly. Jesus appeared to him directly. But then he describes how he became a part of the church. And he works together with the other apostles. And the apostles are passing on this clear teaching of Christ. That statement is very early. So you have 1 Corinthians, which is written in its own little separate letter. You have the Gospels, which are each written separately and distributed to different churches. And they're all written by different people. And all of these different people are all saying the same thing. If you think about how we accept evidence today in a court of law, we look for multiple witnesses who collaborate the story. And that's exactly what you have in the page of the New Testament. This might look like one book, but it was written as many separate smaller books. And each of the testimonies all say the same thing, that Christ rose from the dead and people were willing to die for that truth. It's not a story that people would make up. Sometimes people say, well, people in the first century were very gullible. They believed in all kinds of supernatural things. Just look at mythologies and and all the crazy stories. And of course they would believe in miracles, but that's actually not true at all. Jewish people would not have believed that Jesus rose from the dead because many of them didn't believe in a resurrection at all. You see Jesus arguing with some of those people in the gospel. And for the ones who did believe that a resurrection would happen, they didn't believe that one random guy would be raised to life in the middle of history. 
They would say, we believe in a resurrection, but the world is still broken. People are still suffering, so it can't have happened yet. So they would not have accepted the conviction that Jesus rose from the dead. Not only that, from a, a Greco-Roman worldview, if you think about early philosophy, they, they believe that the physical body is evil. The greatest freedom is to be separated from the physical world and to go enjoy those, wor- those weird forms that Plato talks about where things exist in purity. That's why there are early Christian heresies that try to mix Christianity with the idea that Jesus wasn't really human at all because they believe that the physical world is evil. Over and against that, Christianity says, no, God made the world, the world is good, the world is being made new in Christ, and he is the firstborn of the dead. He is the first one to be raised in power. So no one would have liked this story. If you're trying to form a religion, you should take like a poll first or something, right? You should try to figure out what people want and then tell them what they want to hear. But the reality is no one wanted to hear this message. And the best explanation for it is that it's really true. It really happened exactly as we see it in the pages of Scripture. Not only that, and this is the last sort of evidence, little historical proof, the way the New Testament describes the story is the least likely way you would write a story if you're trying to tell a lie. And I'm going to say something that that is, it's honestly a little bit insulting, but it's a historical reality. It doesn't make it right. All of the New Testament writers agree the first witnesses to the resurrection were women. Now, we have our own problems with misogyny today in the 21st century. But if you can believe it, it was worse in the first century. Women were not allowed to give testimony in court because they were not considered credible witnesses. So pause for just a moment. If you're making up a story that Jesus rose from the dead, Would you make your first witnesses to the resurrection women? No, because no one would believe your witnesses. In fact, unfortunately and tragically, we see in our text today that when the women went and told the apostles, Jesus' closest students, that he had risen from the dead, the apostles don't believe them. The text says that they thought it was an idle tale. So why would you invent a story where your first witnesses are so unreliable that even people who knew better didn't believe them. So finally, the testimony rings true because it's such a bad fiction. The reality is, this is compelling evidence to the truth that Christ rose from the dead. The tomb is empty. Now, if we've looked at an empty tomb briefly, Let's look at the reality that they don't remember what Christ said. So the tomb is empty. Look with me at verses 4 through 9. And let's talk about remembering Christ for just a moment. Verse 4 says, While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Notice verse 8. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all 
the rest. Notice, they have this appearance. They, they describe it as two men. Later on, they're going to call them angels. In dazzling apparel. You think of some of the, some of the great false religions, like, like Mormonism that says, you know, I saw this angel and the angel told me blah, 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 blah. The credibility of the message rests on the fact that they had this awesome heavenly vision. You say, no, I saw this vision. It's really true. Notice what these angels do? They don't say, ladies, believe us, we're angels. They say, remember the words of Christ. Do you remember what he said? That matters so much for you and I. Because I'm going to tell you honest, I've never had an angelic vision. If your faith rests on something amazing, supernatural, and spectacular, you're missing what God has chosen to use to speak to you. God uses Scripture to communicate who Christ is, what He said, and what He did, and you have the same words of Christ available to you that they had available to them. So when the angel says, do you remember what He said? Someday, you could have an angel ask you the exact same question. Do you remember what Jesus said? And you can know what he said because you also have the pages of Scripture that God has inspired and written down for you. So when the, the angel says, do you remember what he says? They don't. So the angel reminds them. Jesus said that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. They forgot two things. They forgot that he had to be crucified and they forgot that he was going to rise from the dead. The reality of the crucifixion horrified all of Jesus' followers. None of them understood it. And their faith was destroyed because it looked like the leader of their group was forever gone. They didn't expect him to rise from the dead. But Jesus had told them that he would. In fact, he said that the whole reason he came was to seek and to save the lost. And he goes around forgiving sins of people who are sinners. One of the most beautiful things about Luke's gospel is how Jesus has compassion on so many people that no one else would have had compassion on. And Jesus, because of his compassion and his love, goes around saying, your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you. But what he's doing is, he, he's in a sense, writing checks saying, your faith has saved you, you are saved, here's peace with God. But in order to make that check good, someone had to pay for those sins. And so the death of Christ was necessary for him to be able to forgive anyone. It's necessary for him to be able to forgive you and for him to be able to forgive me. It might sound really terrible, but the scripture is very clear. The wages of sin is death. Your sin will kill you unless you are united to Christ by faith. And you might wonder, so what does his death do for me? What good does that do? Well, well, here's what it does. The scripture teaches when you trust Christ, you are united to him by faith. In other words, his death is your death. God punished the guilty party through Jesus Christ so that you could pay a debt that you did not have the capacity to pay. And in Christ, your sins can be forgiven totally and completely when you trust him. When you believe that he died for your sins and rose from the dead, you are united to him both in his death so that you can be forgiven and also in his life so that you can be raised from the dead. Jesus had said this so clearly all throughout his ministry, but his followers did not know what he meant 
In fact, in one passage it says they were afraid to ask him because they were excited about the movement that Jesus was, was building. They were excited about the crowds. They were excited about the miracles. They were excited about the thought that we're finally going to have a good king who fights for us, who blesses us. And so when he said, I'm going to die, they, they kind of plugged their ears. They heard what they wanted to hear, and they ignored the rest. And then when the crucifixion happened, they were utterly confused and hopeless. Until the angel says, do you remember what he said? And in remembering what he said, these women are utterly transformed. They believe that he rose from the dead. And in their faith, they go to spread the good news to the first people they thought should know. And those people don't believe them. So we've seen the empty tomb. We've seen the remembering of what Christ said. Now let's look for a moment at the unbelief of the first people to hear the gospel. Verse 9, returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Verse 10, now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Now notice what the text says and what it does not say. It says very clearly they did not believe. And that Peter is marveling at what happened. That doesn't mean he believes. That means he's confused. He's amazed that something happened. All the same things that, that were I, running through his mind, the things that I said a little bit earlier. He, he's wondering, okay, the Romans wouldn't have stolen the body because they'd be dead. The Jews wouldn't have stolen the body because they, they want him dead. I didn't steal the body because I, I wouldn't do that. He doesn't know what happened. Because even after hearing the words of Christ, even after being reminded, he doesn't even seem to think that it's possible. And I want to suggest... You can maybe have a little bit of sympathy with them because they don't have the Holy Spirit yet. They're not clothed with power from on high because they've not received the blessings of the presence of the Spirit in their lives. But the reality is the angel expected these women to remember. In fact, God always expects us to listen and remember His words. And their guilt is that they chose to selectively listen to Jesus, like many of us do. Oh man, I really love what that statement said. I really love that part of who Jesus is. But man, all this stuff over here about sin and death and, and, and carrying your cross, I don't know about that. That seems a little extreme. The reality is, if you pick and choose which parts of Jesus you like, you are going to be left hopeless and confused someday. And it's my prayer that no one would exist that way. I want you to have hope in Jesus. Unbelief is utterly hopeless. It is possible to live your life, even if you call yourself a Christian, as if Jesus is still in the tomb. Do you remember the scripture reading that, that Heather read just a few minutes ago? Paul is writing to young Timothy, a pastor in Ephesus, and he says, Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. The offspring of David is preached in my gospel. It is an absolutely stunning statement that Paul has to tell a pastor, hey, do you remember Jesus rose from the dead? As if Timothy might forget. 
But I want to suggest to you that every time you and I live in hopelessness and fear, we are living as if Jesus did not rise. The good news is, Jesus has been raised from the dead, and no one who trusts in Him will ever be put to shame. So I want to remind you of some of the things Jesus said. And I want to encourage you, maybe you need to grab just one of these. Maybe make it the thing that you rest on when you are afraid and in doubt. But let me remind you of some of what Jesus has said. Jesus said, if you have trusted Him, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again. Jesus is returning. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Christ has given each of us commands to obey. He has told us to love one another and to forgive each other. He has told us in Luke's gospel to watch and be alert because he could return at any moment. He has told us to work to build the church, to spread the good news that our sins can be forgiven. And throughout the gospels, he has told people, your faith has saved you. So let me urge you to trust in the risen Savior. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even if he dies. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I ask that you would grant us eyes to see Jesus clearly. Lord, I pray that our hearts would latch on to what he has said and never let go of the hope that we have in the clear teachings of Christ. We praise you for his death. We praise you even more for his life and his resurrection. And it's in Jesus' name I ask all of these things for myself and our church. Amen. As I dismiss you, I want to leave you with a verse from Romans that describes so clearly the goodness of God for those who know Christ. And if you're not sure if you know Christ today, I would love to talk to you about that. My prayer is that you would have the hope that the Scriptures offer. As Paul says in Romans chapter 15, this is verse 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Go in peace.